Hey, Indies Who Sell friends. It's Sylvia Frost. It's been a while, hasn't it? Um, I've been very busy writing, as I'm sure all of you have, so our podcast took a little hiatus, but it's back. Mary's currently in Texas, so I'll be doing the introduction for this one, but don't you worry. Both of us will be on the phone with our lovely author that we're interviewing, and that author is... Hopefully that didn't make too much noise. (laughs) Jasmine Walt. Many of you K-Boards friends and fans will know Jasmine as she's the author of the best-selling urban fantasy series, uh, The Bane Chronicles, the first book of which is Burned by Magic. In this interview, we'll talk a little bit about Jasmine and how she got her start uh, in autonomy and ghostwriting, and then move on to her process and what she thinks makes her books tick, and more importantly, sell. So, enjoy! So, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and congrats on the success of your series. So it's um, Burned by Magic and then Bound by Magic. What led you into like this particular choice? It's urban fantasy, there's a romance element, etc. Yeah, how did you even get started writing? Uh, well, uh, to answer the first question, I kind of uh, always enjoyed reading the genre. I think when I was, you know, maybe 18 or 19, I ran across uh, Patricia Briggs books in like a a Walden books or something back when they still existed. So I I found those. And then later on, I was reading uh, Karen Marie Monning's Fever series. And I've actually I've actually read quite a bit in the genre and I really enjoy it. So kind of when I decided to go off on my own and self-publish, I figured I should try to write something that you know, I enjoy reading. That actually kind of relates to some things that's becoming a theme of these podcasts, which is noticing when um, a writer has like, you know, they enjoy a genre, they enjoy an author, you know, they enjoy these ideas, but when they go to write their own, there's also something they want to address or make sure it's done right. Was there anything like that for you? This might not be the answer to your question exactly, but writing as an adult, because I, I wrote stuff when I was like, you know, in my teens, I was always really annoyed that the heroines seemed to be so stupid and they <laughs> yeah. to these situations. And I was like, why did you do that? And then I kind of realized that not to say that heroines are stupid, but that if they don't do stupid things that you don't have a story. Right. So yeah. initially, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if they do everything perfect, then there's no story. So I kind of I kind of realized um, writing that book that my initial idea of having a perfect heroine wasn't really going to work. <laughs> so fancy that. So so then with uh, my current series, I kind of just focused on really trying to make her realistic. Like from my perspective, one of the things that's kind of controversial a little bit you could say about my series is that the is that um. A lot of people either love my character, Sunaya, or they hate her. Like, they can't stand her. She's t- Especially in the first book, like, she's bitchy, and she's, like, super sarcastic, and she just hates everybody, and she's super rebellious. And a lot of the people who've basically given my book bad reviews have gone from that angle that they can't relate to her. But the thing, I kind of took a, a risk with this, I guess you could say, is that the thing is, is that my character isn't human, She's only half human. She's part animal. And on top of it, she's gone through a series of traumatic events. She's lost her mentor. Her mother died and, you know, her aunt kicked her out of the clan. 
And, you know, on top of it, she has magical powers that if anybody finds out about it, uh, you know, she'll be executed. So it's like, it was kind of a bit of a challenge to really kind of figure out this character and portray her in a way that's realistic and yet that people like her at the same time. Uh, it seems to have worked because people buy my book, but I mean, um, it's kind of this line that I've been straddling and still working on as I, as I keep writing books in the series. I mean, one of the things that I was uh, kind of struggling with as I wrote the first book in particular was how much backstory to really give her. Like, I mean, obviously I she had backstory, but how much of it to really reveal? Because I feel like probably if I really imparted, like, how much she was suffering and, you know, the loss that she was mm -hmm. dealing with and stuff, people might have related to her more. But then I would do that at the expense of the plot. She's not one to mope. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I didn't want her to be moping around. I've read too many books like that. I'm just curious kind of about your journey to self-publishing. Did you, you said you wrote in your teens. Um, what, what's your background been like and how did you arrive to the point of you were ready to self-publish the series? Well, uh, my story is a little, a little weird. Um, I think that I'm not, I'm not this traditional um, self-published story because what it was is I think I originally started on Autonomy, uh, which was run by HarperCollins and which closed sometime last year. And I had like this fantasy story that I'd written and I put it up there and I got it torn apart and, you know, I tried again with a different book and I learned a lot as far as craft goes. Uh -huh. I actually learned a lot on Autonomy from, you know, all the writers on there. Uh, I left, you know, years ago because uh, the environment just was too hostile for me mm -hmm. at, at a certain point on the forums. But, you know, I'm really grateful for all the friends that I've made there and all the stuff I've learned. But um, moving forward, sometime I'd say in 2010 or 11, I lost my job, you know, during the recession. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I didn't want to go back into another nine to five job. So I started ghostwriting. I started going on like websites like Elance and freelancer and stuff and trying to figure out what I could do with my writing and I discovered that there's a lot of like people who are hiring people to write like paranormal romance and historical or contemporary erotica or whatever and I was looking at some of the samples that people were putting up and I was like I can do this <laughs> um yeah. I can do this maybe I'm not ready to publish or query agents or like maybe I don't feel good enough about my stuff to put it under my own name but yeah. I can do this. Right. So I did that for a couple of years, uh, kind of on and off. I had other jobs in between, but I kept coming back to ghostwriting. And I had somebody that I worked with fairly regularly. And, uh, you know, she's, I guess the closest way you could put it is like she was like my art director. So like, you know, if I worked, if I was like an artist working in a studio, you know, she would be the person who looks over my shoulder and tells me what to paint or what to do except here she's telling me what to write. So she would give me kind of like a synopsis that was really just like a back cover blurb. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I would write an outline. And then I would basically send her, you know, every 5,000 words or so, because that's how she paid me. I would send her, you know, what I had, and she would give me feedback, uh, you know, on what was working and what wasn't working. Uh, you know, she liked me. We worked together for several years. So I actually learned a lot. Uh, I became more confident in plotting, but I still felt like I wasn't on the same level as these writers that I admired. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't coming out with amazing plots. It was kind of just like, 
all right, I guess I guess I can throw together a story and people will like it as far as as far as romance is concerned. But I didn't really want to write romance just because I'd gotten sick of doing it for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do fantasy because that was so much of what I read. Not to bash romance. I love romance. I have shelves full, but I wanted to change. So basically I decided to kind of do the same thing where I went out and I said, all right, I need somebody who's good at plotting because it's not my strong suit. I'm a really fast writer. You know, I have my ups and downs, but, you know, I was doing 30,000 words uh, in a week. So I figured, I mean, I figured that these people were paying me money to give, to produce these stories for them. If they're paying me 800 or $1,000 per, you know, novella, that must mean that they're making more than that. Right. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I figured I should start doing my own thing, but in a similar fashion. So I found, I actually found on a scribe file, I found uh, a woman on there, her name, she goes by Mae Burnett. She actually writes Regencies on her own. Mm -hmm. Um, But she basically agreed. And, uh, you know, I kind of came up with a basic idea, you know, shifters and mages and an alternate world. And she kind of drew up the initial plot idea and we spitballed it back and forth for, you know, a couple weeks until we came out with something that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then, you know, I went to town and we had a book. That's really, really interesting. I heard you say both that you learned a lot from... Autonomy. Autonomy. There we go. But it sounds like you learned a lot from that process and from and from ghostwriting. And I was wondering what you feel you learned. Like what what like what are your takeaways from that experience? Well, it's interesting because I feel like autonomy was a double-edged sword for me because I didn't really know anything about, you know, writing. I just kind of wrote my first book and it was like, you know, very happy, carefree thing, you know, a couple weeks, 80,000 words later. I don't even know how long. it? It was epic fantasy of all things. My first novel in epic fantasy. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But it sucked. Like, you know, that book will never see the light of day. You know, I've tried rewriting it, and it's just, it's just not working. Yeah. Um, you know, that tends to be the case with lots of first novels. But um, when I went on Autonomy, I kind of, I mean, it's it was so long ago, so I can't say exactly what I learned, but I learned a lot about pacing, uh, dialogue. One of the things that I would say is the, is the drawback is that I learned so much that I was afraid to write. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I was like, oh my God, there are all these rules. What am I going to do? I'm going to break them all. Yeah. And then I kind of realized after a while that just because that the rules are there doesn't necessarily mean that like they're hard and fast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like writing is still a creative pursuit. You can, you can play around with things and if they work, they work. Like, I don't actually have to strike every single adverb from my manuscript. Yeah. It'll be okay. Most people, most writers never publish a book. They never, most writers never finish it, right? And because they're so concerned with all these kind of details and rules, and they just hope that they follow their formula, someone will read their book, you know? And I think it's a big, you can just see it on the genre distribution on a site like Critique Circle, where it's almost all general fiction you know, or fantasy. There's like two people in romance. But then if you look at the number of self-published indies who are actually selling a ton, it's like mostly, and it's romance is a large part of it. And I think, I think the instinct of people to 
like write, writers write for themselves or other writers, but they the readers get really lost in the mix. A lot of a lot of readers um, compare me to Alona Andrews and Patricia Briggs. Yeah. So I kind of put that in my copy. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, just as like a something to draw readers in, and yeah. I've gotten other reviews that say like she's not as good as you know Alona Andrews or Patricia Briggs, and I know I'm not. <laughs> I know I'm not as good as them. They've got like I don't know. They've been writing for way longer than I have. Yeah. But that's okay. I don't have to be the best. I just have to be good enough. Yeah. And I think you don't, I mean, you obviously are good enough, right? I was just going to say that I know that, you know, going from the first book to the second book uh, of yours, that I I just was, I mean, I, I was just blown away by kind of gains that were made or that you were just sort of embracing a new level just from that step. I mean, even if, the, even with the first book selling well, which is fantastic and exactly what you want, you know, the craft and the way that you write and, and your facility is always going to go up anyway. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think I'll get better with my books, you know, as I keep writing, just like with everything else you practice. Yeah. Yeah. How did you approach what elements you were going to include? I know, how did you approach, did you write to market? And, and if so, how did you think about trying to engage readers with what you write? I sort of wrote to market. I probably could have done a little better job, more research. But, uh, you know, I kind of pulled from what I already knew I liked. And uh, I've been writing shifter romances for so long uh-huh. um, <laughs> that I kind of thought uh, it'd be cool to do something with shifters again. Um, but I also like the idea of, like, wizards, you know, and traditional magic. So I thought, hey, let's do mages and shifters. Yeah. That sounds cool. Nobody's doing that. Right. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to come up with something that nobody was exactly doing. I'm sure there's somebody that's doing it, but uh, there's nobody currently sharing the bestseller list with me that's doing it. That's so interesting because, uh, again, with things that I think we, we heard this from Annie Belay as well as there's shifters and I know shifters and I like shifters and, and, and mages, which, you know, if nobody else has put them together, then I think that it's hard to appreciate sort of the what it adds when you're bringing these two existing elements and just put them together and in your case just see how they fight and uh you know how do they conflict and what's the and and so on and um and that something new comes from that yeah 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 for sure i mean it was kind of a gamble but i figured um you know most people that like one like the other um it was also (laughs) it was also interesting um because originally I wasn't going to do an alternate world fantasy I was just gonna set it like a regular urban fantasy because that's what I'm used to reading Uh but I realized that the uh the way that I was setting it up or I should say Mary because she was setting up a lot of we were doing the world building together but she she obviously did a lot of the initial backbone of it and um, I realized that, like, in a world that we have it set up where, like, mages are the ruling class and, and shifters are, like, a, you know, t- they're technically a magically engineered creation um, of mages and uh, there's a whole backstory to them. But I realized that it would be really hard to integrate that into a current uh, or a kind of semi-current Earth. So instead, I just kind of took it and I made a parallel-ish world but it's not set in modern times but it has sort of enough uh vague references that you know if you're paying attention you can get that it's it's kind of based on earth 
Yeah. But it's not. So, I mean, me and Mary, we have a lot of theories for why your books are successful, and we'll certainly discuss them. I'm curious, what do you think has made your book successful? Well, um, as much as I was saying earlier that plenty of people hate Sunaya, a lot of people love her. She says what she thinks. She doesn't take any BS. You know, she's, she's good with her fists and her weapons, and she's kind of been where a lot of us have been, where, you know, we're not really sure where we belong. That's like a theme that a lot of people can relate to. Um, I think even though, like, I wouldn't call myself a feminist, probably a lot of feminists could relate to her position where she's got all these powerful men trying to tell her what to do. And she just kind of spits in, spits in their faces and says, you know, fuck you. Or if you have to delete that, F you. We're good. <laughs> um, so like, I think just on her personality alone, I think that's a big thing. A lot of people have said that they loved her. Um, I think that the other reason that um, my books do well is because they're not quite like anything else. I One of the things that kind of influenced the world building decisions that uh, Mary and myself made were that um, somebody was telling me that like urban fantasy is oversaturated. And I was kind of thinking like, hmm, like, do I really want to be just another one of these urban fantasy uh, people? So my book technically is an urban fantasy, although my fans tend to call it that uh, because it's it's written pretty pretty closely to how urban fantasy novels tend to be written. It's kind of urban fantasy, but it's set in an alternate world. I've kind of got some dystopian going on there because we've got this mage ruling class and these other people being suppressed. I've kind of got a little bit of steampunk. Um, and so I kind of have this mix of things that's been thrown together. And a lot of uh, my reviewers have said that that's one of the things that they really like is that I have a world that's not quite like what's normally on the urban fantasy market. So <laughs> those are like my two main things. I think just that I have such a strong character and that the world building is just pretty much not like what's on the market right now, but close enough that people can still relate to it. Yeah. Cool. So do you want to go in with our, our theories, Mary? You know, one, <laughs> one, thing that, one thing that we talked about a lot there about the setting, it's interesting to think that you were basically going to start with California and San Francisco and the Bay. I really like that it is thinly disguised. There's the Firegate Bridge. Oh, sure. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a lot of it. It's like, there, here's this neighborhood and that neighborhood. So I am not a visual person. And I find your world very easy to picture, Not yeah. perhaps not surprisingly. And that very visual immediacy really yeah. struck me about the like the one aspect of the world building. Yeah, I think that was what I found to be really strong is that you are a very visual writer. There were movie moments in yeah. in the book and it yeah. felt really accessible to me. And I think one of the things we've noticed more and more is that people more and more look for that kind of visual immediacy in writing. And your books really made it easy to picture things. And I think that that's sort of more and more key. Right. What do no, you think, it's Jason? it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's actually something I've worked very hard on. Yeah. I I struggle with um, setting description myself because a lot of the the books that I read um, have a lot of visual vivid description, and I suck at it. Like like when I start talking about like the different 
like cornices on the walls and the yeah, types no, of molding I'm the same and, way, like... and I'm like how do you know how do you know the names of these yeah things? exactly like I've actually tried to find like a good architectural yes. like visual dictionary and yes. my boyfriend actually when we went to San Francisco last year I've been a couple times now he bought me um these two books um and one is called How to Read Buildings, and the other one is called How to Read Houses. Ooh, and um, I need those books, they're man. both by one is by uh, the one that's How to Read Houses is by Will Jones, and the one on How to Read Buildings is by uh, Carol Davidson uh, Crago. Uh, one of the challenges I actually face in writing um, these books is that I can't say a Victorian house. Right. Yeah. There's no such thing as a Victorian house in my world, so right. I have to figure out how to explain that without relying on these kind of catchphrases that, you know, somebody who writes on actual earth can say. So Jasmine, would you, would you call yourself a visual person, not a visual person? Where are you on that line? Basically, I kind of, when I write a scene, I kind of like to splash just enough description to mm -hmm. kind of let the person understand or see, uh, you know, what the scene is. Like, Sunaya wouldn't spend an hour, you know, explaining all the details in a room. The other thing that I, I noticed that I think is really makes your, your books effective is they almost had a little bit of a YA feel to me and the feeling of this theme of not belonging and trying to figure out where you fit in the world. Hostile to authority. Hostile to authority. I think part of what makes Sunaya, Sunaya fun is that she is able to kind of say what she means and takes no bullshit and she i you never would feel like she has not been ground down by a nine-to-five job she's experienced it but you've she's still got like that kind of fight and fire in her she's kind of got that stick it to the man thing yeah, yeah yeah that feels that felt young to me and i was wondering how old is your average reader and and i mean and not necessarily it kind of struck me as not like ya but like you know how adults read ya now and i'm one of them sure. I love reading YA. it strikes me as kind of a book designed for that market for someone who's an adult but still kind of yearns for some of the themes in ya i was wondering if that resonates with you at all or well um it's interesting because especially in the first book um a lot of the emotions that i pulled on were emotions on how i felt in my own teenage years I was very much, you know, angry at the world and all that kind of stuff for my own reasons. And always, I, I wasn't like Sunaya. I, I kept it all inside and I didn't say anything. So this was sort of an opportunity for my, you know, inner teen to come out and say all the things that I thought at that time. Something that really came across to me in the second book was how much I was enjoying the group of secondary characters. In other words, I mean, they all start in the first book. And so you're sort of getting to know everybody and you don't know who's going to make it or not. Um, and then it was one of those things where it was already just kind of a pleasure to visit with them all again. And mm -hmm. I was wondering how you're, I mean, obviously a lot is going into that entire cast of characters. And I was wondering what, how, how you think about that as, as you're doing it. When we were kind of putting everything together, uh, we already had plans for these characters when we were doing like, you know, the character sheets and the world building Fenris has a whole backstory that hasn't been revealed yet, uh, but will be in book three. Um, and there's kind of hints and undercurrents as to what his secret is in, in both books. But he's basically, when we were coming up with the concept, you kind of realized that Iannis doesn't really work by himself. Like, he needs a sidekick. 
He needs somebody to kind of bridge that gap between himself mm-hmm. and Sunaya. And that's often what he does is he acts as a mediator between them because he's kind of from both worlds. What does your process look like for writing? I know you said you write a large amount, but how does your production process work? I mean, do you do you bounce back drafts between your developmental editor? And then I know you work with Mary here for line edits. So what does your process look like? Uh, so basically, after uh, Mary, my partner, gets the outline together and we bounce it back and forth and I'll make changes and we'll get it all together, um, we'll end up with a scene-by-scene outline. And um, sometimes I'll even go in and write the scenes out even more detailed before I start writing them. Because I really, uh, with the last, with this third book that I'm writing, we actually didn't quite do it as detailed as I'm used to, and it's taking me longer. Mm -hmm. So, but when I really can visualize it, the words come faster because I don't have to think so much. Yeah. Um, It's just kind of like, you know, the, the movie coming out of my head. Right. So, you know, I'll basically, it's just, what is that book called? One of the things that really changed my outlook on, on how fast I can write and how much I can get done in a day is uh, there's this guy. Chris I Fox's name is, book? Not Chris Fox, although I love his book. Um, it's uh, Steve Windsor. and He writes a series called the Nine Day Novel okay. series. And it's basically about how to write 10,000 words a day. Basically, the big takeaway is that you just have to sit down and not move and figure <laughs> out how many, how many words you do an hour and then sit down for that many hours and just get it done. And for me, uh, you know, if I average 1,500 words an hour, because that's like my average kind of steady pace, uh, so that's like seven hours or something. Yeah. So if I sit down for seven hours, and then typically I'll write faster than that. I can do 2,000 to 2,500 words. Uh So I can finish that 10,000 in less time than I sit down, and it's kind of like, yay, I get to go home early kind of thing. (laughs) So, you know, I'll do that. You know, um, book two took me about two weeks to write, um, just really sitting down and not doing anything else um, until I was done with my eight or 10,000 words for the day. Right. And then after the first draft is done, what we'll do is we'll kind of go through it and kind of smooth out the little typos and stuff and any obvious errors that we already know are wrong with the book, like any names or places or plot things that I've changed yeah. while writing, because that happens, obviously. I'll I'll deviate from the outline as needed if I feel like something's not working or something else would work better. Right. And then I actually send it off to about 10 different beta readers. Oh, cool. And um, I'll give them about two weeks. And basically some of them will make inline comments and some of them won't. But I'll give them a survey to work with. What did you like? What did you dislike? Were there any scenes that were boring or confusing or any words that you had to look up or that you Mm -hmm. didn't understand. So I'll basically do that and then I'll get all their feedback together and I'll make changes. I I won't always take every suggestion, but if enough people are talking about the same thing, I know that's something that has to be fixed. So where did you find these, these people, your beta Um, readers? Well, one of them, um, not one of them, a couple of them came from um, the book club, which is a group on Facebook uh, it's actually a secret group, but basically it's got like something like 8,000 members and they, they all, they're <laughs> very, all readers. A very select 8,000. A very yes. selective secret group. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, one of my writer friends at the time, oh, she's still a writer friend. Her name is Tammy Robinson. Uh, I posted on Facebook and I put out a call for beta readers and she basically, uh, shared that 
uh, with her friends and a couple people from the book club responded and said that they wanted to do it. And then I also went to Absolute Right, um, the forum, but particularly I kind of used them for my developmental stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I could probably, you know, hire a developmental editor, but there's only, especially with the first book, there was only so much room in our budget. Right. Um, right. So, and, you know, Mary, my partner was supposed to do the editing, but really we wanted to get feedback from actual readers on what worked. And yeah. Didn't. Yeah. So, so after your beta readers, What's the next step for you? Well, um, for the first two books, we actually used uh, Podcast Mary Hello. Um, for, line, <laughs> for line editing. Uh, okay, and the reason, cool. the reason for this is because my Mary, um, she writes these Regency romances that are, you know, they're historical and the tone is just very different. They're written in third person. They're, uh, I don't want to say that they're dry because they're actually entertaining, but just the tone is just not as immediate or as yeah, passionate yeah. as Sunaya is. Or as so, casual. Yes, all of that. Um, so she couldn't really do the line editing for the first two books. We're going to have her do the uh, line editing for the third, and sorry, Mary, and uh, <laughs> see, <laughs> see how that goes. Uh, right, she well, thinks she's been working she's... on it for now a while. Yeah, yeah so we're going to see how it goes and see if she's got the hang of it by this point. But in the beginning, she was starting to do it, and she was cutting words, and and making suggestions that just weren't working, in my opinion, with Sunaya's voice. Mm-hmm. So it took me about 10 editors uh, to, to find somebody, Mary, podcast Mary, um, <laughs> that uh, actually could edit my, my, my book without killing Sunaya's voice. The other thing for book three is that the thing was that as far as line editing itself went, the amount that I was doing on from book one to book two was night and day, you know, mm-hmm. so your voice changed or your collective understanding of what Sunaya's voice was going to be changed. Some, something had really shifted. And the more that that shifts, then, I mean, line editing, you know, going line by line and saying, does this sentence make sense? That, that kind of, you know, Hey, if that's growing into just growing into the process, then that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like your uh, your editing helped me grow as a writer. You know, when I was writing book two, I definitely think that I was a little more conscious of conscious of my sentence structure than I was on book one. Yeah, I have to say, I think one of the things that really struck me about the book was that it did have this kind of just very easy, relatable flavor. So I think that you did a really great job in capturing that. And I think that it's something that readers really like and really respond to. And I think, again, it's easy if you're a writer, writer, quote unquote, to get caught up in, in, it's easy to lose that voice. And it's really hard to find a process that allows you to keep what makes it sort of special and casual. Yeah. Sure. I mean, with first person, that's kind of the beauty of it, because I feel like with third person, maybe you can get away with a little more you know, being more writerly or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. But um, with first person, I feel like you really want to sound like somebody's like talking person. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody's talking to you, like they're, they're a real person. So, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, I'm actually, it was my, it was the first book I'd written in first person, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, because all the other stuff that I'd done for ghostwriting was third person. A lot of mm-hmm. romances. And are third, in third yeah. Person. Alternating so, third. Yeah. But a lot of the urban fantasy that I read is written in first person and it's very easy to and I, I notice it's very easy to relate to the character step in their shoes it gives you that kind of cinematic 
uh, feeling that you don't necessarily always get from third person. So are you, how are you doing with the third? How long are you planning the series to go? Well, I think it's going to be at least five books, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you never know. It could be more. Um, the third book, as I mentioned earlier, it's going a lot slower because these scenes aren't as detailed as I'm used to. Uh, one of the things that's different about this book is that there's a lot of, uh, I'd say there's more adventure than there were in the first two. And by that, I mean, literally going out to the wilderness and encountering (laughs) foreign cultures. And like, I've had to do a lot of research, um, and that slowed me down on different, um, tribes and things like this. And then, you know, for the other half of the book, she's actually in the capital city amongst all these politicians. And that's a whole other thing that I'm not totally used to writing. Mm. So it's like two things that are different that weren't really there in the first two books. Um, and so even though the scenes are kind of, you know, generally there, when I actually get into writing them, I realize that I don't have as clear a picture as I would like. So yeah. it's like 10,000 words a day. It's more like three to five. But, you know, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm hoping to finish it this weekend because, you know, it's coming out May 26th. Well, uh, I think that's all the questions I have, Mary. Do you have any more? Uh, no, I think I'm all set. Okay, well, um, you know, I have to get back to finishing yeah. this book, so I'll let go you ladies it. go. All right, thanks so much, Jasmine. It was really great to get to talk to you. Okay, yeah, you too. All bye. right, bye. bye. bye.